Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I said, man, this is great. Amen. I know sometimes that uh, very seldom, but I'm doing this today. I'm just starting out of the shoot. I don't have a scripture text necessarily that I'm going to present to you right now uh, for this. We are still in our Mythbuster series. This is the next, the last lesson. Next, next week will be it uh, concerning Mythbusters. But this morning, the phrase that is under consideration today is a valley means a wrong turn. A valley means a wrong turn turn today is the phrase that is under consideration i'm just going to pray right now that the lord would help us amen and give us direction here in the next few minutes father i love you today god i'm thankful lord for your presence that we have felt lord through the songs lord how you have lord touched individual lives lord jesus even through lord the singing of the songs today i pray god that you administer to them god and continue to help them lord along this journey i pray god help us now lord in the ministry of the word god we need you today god to speak to our lives god God, as we would consider, Lord God, this phrase today, open up our minds and our understanding to your word, and we'll love you for it, and thank you for it, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen, amen. A valley means a wrong turn, amen. This morning, valleys, valleys come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, there are V-shaped valleys, which are normally formed by rivers, there are U-shaped valleys, which are generally shaped by glaciers. There are valleys that are shaped or formed by the erosion of land, and yet there are still other valleys that are formed by the addition of rocky debris and known as structural valleys. Some valleys have an obvious site or an obvious end, rather, insight. And then there are other valleys that look like they are going to last forever. Amen. As a matter of fact, in geology, a valley or a dell is a depression that is longer than it is wide. Meaning that when it's not so much the breadth of a valley that makes a valley, but it is the length of a valley that makes it a valley. In the realm, though, of the Spirit today, some valleys are self-induced. Some valleys are merely the result of living in a fallen, decrepit world. Some valleys, of course, are obviously, I know it's hard for us to embrace this, but are the will of God for our life for a particular specified amount of time. And then there are other valleys that enter our lives that it seems like it's just nearly impossible to figure out why it is here or, or why we are going through this. And sometimes we'll never understand it, maybe perhaps until we reach our eternal home someday. But I understand very clearly that even Job in the Scripture, never, he never died in the middle of, of his loss of his, uh, 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 his, his goods and all of the things and stuff that he had in his life. He never died in the middle of that. He never died in the middle of the physical illness of boils coming upon 
his body, but he lived to a very old age, the Bible says. He was old and full of years. At the age of 140, he would finally die. And I never read in Scripture where God ever told Job why he suffered like he suffered. We know because we're the readers of the story on the outside and not participants in it. We read in the first couple of chapters the reason why Job was going through what Job was going through. And whenever we read that, I ask you this this morning, was his pain that he was suffering with and going through, was, was that a product because Job was making some less than reputable choices in his life as some of his friends begin to surmise about him? Was this valley that Job was going through, was it because he made a wrong turn? That's not what I read in Scripture in the first chapter of Job. On the contrary, God had said, amen, that there was none like him to the adversary. He said there's none like him in the earth. He's a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Job wasn't in the place he was in for the length of time that he was in because he had made a wrong decision or a wrong turn, but quite on the contrary, he was right where he needed to be concerning his relationship with God. And so this morning to term every valley, a valley means a wrong term, that, that's under the assumption that every valley means a wrong term, a, a wrong turn. And so to term every valley as a wrong turn would also be similar to saying that every mountain means a right turn. This is how we say, you say valley, you got negative connotations that go with it. You say mountain, you got positive connotations that go with it. This is how we operate as humanity. But to say every valley is bad and every mountain is good, we cannot, we cannot really do that. Amen. Because I read in Scripture, Bishop, that there are even some places in, for the children of Israel in their walk with the Lord in the Old Testament that the very places, some of the very places that ensnared them, the children of Israel, were when they were making sacrifices to idol gods on high places. I read in Scripture that the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, amen, they jeopardized their lives, the Bible said, in the high places. I read that the beauty of Israel, Saul and Jonathan, amen, that they were slain on the high place or a Mount Gilboa, if you will. So it wasn't necessarily a positive experience that always took place on a mountain, nor was it always a negative experience that always took place down in the valley. So I believe this morning we're, we're a little mistaken if we're going to paint with such a broad brush, amen, to say on both accounts that all mountains are right turns and all valleys are wrong turns. For that matter, whenever Christ was talking to the Israelites and they were to enter into the land of promise, enter into Canaan, he said, this is a land that I've reserved for my people. I've set this aside for my people. It belongs to them. And the writers often describe that land that's flowing with milk and honey and the land of promise. They describe it and depict it as a land of hills and valleys, which is a very good expression for life itself. But not every hill and not every valley can be understood exactly the same. Amen. Uh, to think that the only place that God could or should lead us is to a mountaintop experience is an error, is an error. Uh, thinking like this sometimes groups us with the Syrians of 1 Kings 20 
and verse 28, the Bible says concerning them, he said, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, and he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. They were going to be fighting in the valley. And they said, well, God's not a God of the valley. Amen. By implication, what they're trying to say here in the word of the Lord with this particular episode is that the Lord is the God of the hill and of the valley. It does not matter to him. God can take us to the valley and though it may have some negative connotations in our minds or literal negative connotations, God can take care of us. I understand that he led a prophet called Elijah to a brook that he knew was going to dry up. I understand in Scripture that he drove his own son, Christ Jesus, into a wilderness when he knew there was going to be testing that would come shortly thereafter. And that he sent his disciples. He said, go over the lake here to the other side. And when he spoke those words, he knew somewhere in the middle of that lake, once they got there, they were going to meet the opposition of a storm and the opposition of winds, and they were going to be accosted by some negativity, but God still sent them there, and it wasn't because they made a wrong decision or they made a wrong choice, but it was the providence, the will, and the hand of God that took them to that place. Amen. So therefore, this morning, we cannot judge the appropriateness of our circumstances based upon their location, mountain or valley. Job even said this in his book. There's a lot of wisdom in Job, but he said this. He said, we feel his, speaking of God's, we feel his presence in the thunder. We feel his presence in the thunder. What are you trying to say to me, Job? I'm telling you this, that I can even feel God's presence in the storm. I can even feel God's presence in the less than perfect circumstances that are going on in my life right now. The Bible says if we can go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, this is concerning the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is about ready to depart He's wanting to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. He feels it is very important that he arrives there and that he gets there. And so the Bible says in Acts 20 and verse 22, he says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit. I want you to know that Paul was bound in the spirit before he was ever bound in his physical body. He says, I I go now bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. In other words, it seems like uh, I hear the Holy Ghost speaking different places. I'm going on my way on my trip to Jerusalem that's saying, Paul, you're going to be bound there. You're going to suffer affliction there. Even some voices trying to say, Paul, don't go there as a result of these things that's going to come upon you and happen. One of the scenarios is found in the very next chapter of Acts chapter 21 and verse 10, if I can start. And he says, as we tarried there, that was Caesarea many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. 
And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he had the girdle of Paul, Agabus did. He bound his hands and feet with that and he said, This is what's going to happen to the man that owns this girdle, that owns this garment and this piece of clothing. He's going to be delivered unto the hands of the Gentiles. He's going to be bound at Jerusalem. Verse 12, and when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go. Here they are, Paul, don't go. This is negative. This is bad. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to go and you're going to be bound. You're going to be afflicted. Bad, wrong choice. I know you thought you really wanted to go there, but this is what's going to happen. That can't be good. So if it's not good, it can't be God. Don't go. Don't go. And then Paul answered in verse 13. What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart, he says, for I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not even willing to be bound. I'm willing to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, the Bible says we seized, saying the will of the Lord been done. Amen. And sure enough, you go on and read the storyline. About a week after Paul is in Jerusalem, he's been in Jerusalem now for about a week, after that little scenario in Acts 21, 10 through 14, as a matter of fact, he departs to go to Jerusalem, however long it took him from where he was to get there. And then after a week after he arrived at Jerusalem, guess what happened? He was bound. He was afflicted. He was incarcerated. He was taken in for questioning. Amen. Crooked fingers were being pointed at him. People were, 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 were conspiring to even take his life. And while all this was happening and he was being brought in for questioning among, among the city council, among dignitaries, and just among the common people, every time he was speaking, every time he was defending his stance, he was giving his testimony given his testimony of his conversion, given his testimony, I used to be a persecutor of the church, now he was a supporter, if you will, of the church that preached the name of Jesus, speaking to high councilmen concerning his conversion. They were actually having sessions, they were allowing people to come in, set in, and listen to what he had to say. Folks, listen to me for a moment. I don't know if he would have had that type of opportunity to speak to the dignitaries and the councilmen and have other people gather a crowd without him having to do the work to speak. But God, he said, I feel compelled. I got to go to Jerusalem. They said, you're going to be bound. That's bad news. That can't be God. Yet right smack dab in the middle of all this, Sister Nadine, he has a captive audience where he can tell them, this is what God did for me in my life. This is what happened when the light came on. This Amen. Hearing about an experience they may have never heard of if he hadn't walked through his valley, so to speak. Get all along prior to this. Don't go, Paul. Don't go, Paul. You're going to be bound in Jerusalem. Amen. The Holy Ghost told him he was going to be bound. The Holy Ghost told him he was going to be afflicted. Now, anybody that heard the Holy Ghost telling you, you're going to be bound afflicted, you might be thinking, God might be trying to tell me, woo. Hold back, mule. Amen, right? Hold back. But I don't believe the Holy Ghost was necessarily telling Paul this to deter Paul, but it's just giving a heads up on what to expect. 
Holy Ghost sometimes speaks in our life concerning things like that, not necessarily to deter you from your path or where you're going, but to somehow give you a heads up about what to expect. Did Paul, Paul, did you make a wrong turn because you were met with hostility? Hostility, were you met, did you make a wrong turn because of being bound? Hey man, is all of this because of that? Hey man, no, 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 no. It landed you in house arrest and in prison. It wasn't a wrong turn. It wasn't a wrong turn. As a matter of fact, the reassuring voice of God spoke to Paul during one of his night stays in the castle. Things had got bad. The people were just this way and that way. Some were for, some were against. The soldiers just took him and retreated him back into the castle. And in that night stay at the castle, when it seems like during this time, for the most point, most part, the voice of God seemed to be very silent in Paul's life. This is true. You read the scripture. You don't see too many red words popping up unless Paul is retelling his story about what Christ told him on his Damascus trip. You don't see too many red words uh, just, just coming up. But all this here, it seems like the voice of God is silent. But in the middle of it all, because Paul's like you and I, I don't doubt there may have been some episodes. Should have I came to Jerusalem? Should have I went on and followed through with this? Was this a good idea? Amen. But in all of that, that one little night there in the castle, the Spirit of the Lord came to him in that night and spoke to Paul, which was a breath of fresh air and reassurance for where he was. He said, be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, and so thou must bear witness also in Rome. You know, one of the awesome things about God is this, folks. He can speak to you in the night season of your life when you are surrounded by doubt and despair when you're second guessing whether or not you made the right choice or the right decision or the right turn because of all these unfavorable circumstances he can speak to you right in the middle of your valley and it's after that that Paul must have settled the issue in his life because he knew with those few little words that was spoken that day that today is not my day to die because he said, I testified in Jerusalem, but I also am going to do it in Rome. Today's not my final day. This is not the period on the end of the sentence. This is not whenever the dirt is scraped over my dead corpse or dead body. I am not done yet. God is not finished with me yet. I had a duty, undoubtedly, as I thought I did, to do in Jerusalem. But God has a purpose for this long valley. God has a purpose for this elongated valley. He wants me to impact Rome as well. And it seems bad where I'm currently living and what I'm currently going through but God is honing out something he's digging a treasure out of all of this the important thing is this I believe for consideration as well and that is every valley may not directly teach us something at times our valleys are teaching someone else something no doubt through this Paul no doubt he may have been affirmed of the faithfulness of God to him in this moment that he was going through but the people that were exposed to him were learning who Jesus really was the almighty God 
every time he told his testimony, every time he told his story. Insult to injury, the valley's long. In Acts 27, Paul would later find himself in bonds on a ship of slaves that are headed to see Caesar in Rome. God said it would happen. He would be in the midst of a horrific storm and ultimately he would be among later in the sea among the pieces of a shattered ship all around him. And no doubt, even in that trying time, he must have recalled, I believe this, that he must have recalled the words of those back in Acts 21, whose admonition at least twice in Acts 21 was don't go, <laughs> don't go to Jerusalem. But whenever it was said and done and they seen he had that made up mind, they ceased from saying that and this is what they finally said concerning the. And instead of deterring him, they just said this, may the will of the Lord be done. If we can't keep you from it, we'll just pray the will of God be done. And so I believe there's something in that happens in Paul. Amen. He's went through Jerusalem and suffered what he suffered in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Rome, and maybe he'll suffer in Rome, but he's in shackles right now, and he's in the middle of a storm. He's down in the depths of a valley, but he's in a storm, but evidently he's smack dab in the will of God. Was that a wrong turn? No. They said, well, just let the Lord's will be done. God's will took him through Jerusalem. It took him among the councilmen. It took him to the dungeon. It's gonna take him to Rome. It's gonna take him in a storm. It's gonna take him on a destroyed ship. Paul said, I tell you what, this isn't a wrong turn. I'm right in the middle of the will of God. Though I suffer, I'm right in the middle of the will of God. Someone say amen. Another thing to consider today is that a valley may be one thing to one person and another thing to another person. So don't allow someone to superimpose on you in your valley what their valley was to them and about. Because you could have two separate people one may have been in their valley because it was self-induced. But you could very well be in your valley because it's God's will and purpose. And so don't allow them to superimpose on you what theirs was and make it, well, that's exactly what yours is. The valley in 1 Samuel 17, popular story we're, we're, we're familiar with of David and Goliath and the scenario there, that those battles were fought in the valley, everybody say valley, of Elah in 1 Samuel 17. It had been a long battle, 40 days between the Israelites and the Philistines. The, they would, oftentimes the armies would come out, set themselves array in the, in the valley. They would fight, but when Goliath would come forth, Israelites go back and retreat, chattering teeth hair sticking up on the back of their neck. <laughs> and so for 40 days, listen to me, their valley 
had impressed intimidation on them. Her valley had impressed fear upon the Israelites, particularly whenever the great champion Goliath would come forth and defy the armies of God. David was not in that grouping. He was at home with Daddy. He wasn't allowed to go to the war. But Daddy said, David, I want you to go check on your brothers. Take them some bread and cheese. You know me, crackers and cheese. Take them some crackers and cheese. Go check on your brothers. He goes down there. The spirit of the moment is this. The valley is bringing intimidation. The valley is bringing fear. But David didn't go down there and just assume the spirit of those that have already experienced Elah for 40 days. He didn't go down there and just place that upon his shoulders and say, well, I guess I need to be intimidated and afraid because that's what this all means to them. But he goes down there in that place where they're cowering in the trenches. Hey Amen. He didn't, though, allow someone to begin to define for him what Elah should mean to him. Hey, he didn't stay there and waiting for somebody hey will you just prep me here about how I need to be reacting to Elah no 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 he wasn't asking for someone to define the valley of Elah for him or what it was going to mean to him but whenever he walked away that day whenever he walked away that day there wasn't no association of the valley of Elah with intimidation for him whenever he walked away that day there was no association of the valley of Elah with fear for him but there was a battle yes and indeed there was a sizable foe yes but there was a faithful God who sealed the victory because David said I'm not going to allow what this valley has meant to this I'm going to define what it necessarily means to me. Someone say amen. It happens. Mostly throughout the scripture, there's something, there, there is a brook called Kedron that's mentioned in scripture. It's mentioned just like that for the most part, the brook of Kedron. Many scholars Josephus, a first century historian, many scholars, though, interchange terms calling this the brook of Kedron. You also see it regarded as the valley of Kedron at other times. Because, listen to me, because the brook was normally dry in the summertime. And so they didn't necessarily call it a brook of Kedron then, dry river brook bed. They just called it the valley of Kedron and so what I'm trying to convey is this this so-called brook of Kedron may at other times be the valley of Kedron listen to me very well but it all depended upon what season you were in it all depended upon what season you were in in other words the same the same valley today that you're walking in may be a brook a few months from now or vice versa it really just depends upon what season what season you're in there's a couple words that, that are kind of interchanged other words that are used for, for a valley valley may also be called a dale a dale or it may be called a vale V a vale a dale is generally flatter and wider than a vale and a veil usually has water in it. Some type of water, such as a river or a brook, but a dale usually doesn't. And again, in some cases, a dale 
might become a veil and become a dell again. It just matters what type of season. So I can't label every valley with one string tape of label and say, well, the next one that's coming, that's what it is. There's what it is. No, 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 no. It's according to what season I'm in, Brother Fred. The very thing that I thought was just all this negativity and oh, he, ha, ha, wrong turn. I made a wrong decision back then and so every valley after that is going to be the result of me have made a bad decision. No, no, no. That one now just might be the, that might be the providence of God. That might be the will of God. It, it, you might not realize it. So don't just go ahead and start labeling ahead of time. Because when you do that, you approach it the way that you see it. You, 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 you ever, you ever stereotyped people based upon how they look? And if you're going to have any interaction, your interaction will be cautious about what type of conclusion you came about because of how they seemed. The way that you go about your interaction is going to be based upon, you know, they look like they're, you know, they look like they're an angry person. They're always upset. So you're kind of walking on eggshells, you know, in your conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you, you approach things the way that, that you perceive that they are. Amen. But, but God can take a valley that's a valley one day and turn it into the brook the next day. God said in his word in Isaiah 41, he said, I will open rivers, he said, in high places. And he said, fountains in the midst of of the valleys did not even David say in the Psalms he said he sendeth the springs into the valleys which rung among the hills so don't mislabel every valley as a wrong term this interesting to me in our just recent little trip that we got back from there in Carlsbad New Mexico I was just riding with Pastor Bingham one day and we were just talking small talk and, and we're Carlsbad is by and large mostly just flat plain area that's surrounded with mountain ranges around uh, about so if you if you wanted to call it they live kind of in a depressed area uh, considering what what every what the terrain is like everything else around there and he just kind of he just said this off the cuff but you don't know me everything that I hear is a possible sermon and and he was just speaking off the cuff and he says he says you know what brother McGee he says, we may not experience an ounce of rain here in Carlsbad. He said, but we can still, according to the news, be under a flash flood alert situation. So there's no rain going on here, but we can be under a flash flood alert situation. He says, because of all the rain that's following in the higher elevations around about us, he says in the surrounding mountains, he said, they can travel so quickly and converge right here at Carlsbad that where it's normally dry and arid can be under a flash flood warning and a flood situation because of what's happening up in the mountaintops. Folks, you might be parched. You might see the arid ground of where your feet are presently traveling and think this is horrific, this is bad, 
but God's already doing something in the higher elevations and by all purposes water's always going to descend and come down and while it's dry there may be a flash going in the spirit that says watch out be under alert you're under flash flood what are you talking about God because God's doing something in a higher elevation but it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley I'm not made a wrong turn. I should be right where God wants me to be. Amen. And so, with this typical little phrase here, the valley means a wrong turn. Again, we, we deduce then that a valley is the result of a bad decision. I want to play for your mind just here for the next few moments, if you'll allow me to. What if a valley wasn't the result, wasn't the result of a decision, but the cornerstone of a decision? What if a valley was where decisions are made if I can this morning you, you're going to have to just lean in here for a little bit okay I'm not going to try to get flash flood warning okay just lean in here for a little bit if I can this morning I'd, I'd like to employ what's called in, in, in the scholarly interpretation of the Bible employ the law of first mention here if you will that just basically means this that that uh, the, the very first time any important word or doctrine uh, is mentioned in the Bible, which for the most part is normally Genesis when it's first mentioned, it gives that word its most complete and accurate meaning. It gives us understanding of the word's biblical concept throughout Scripture and also any further or fuller development that is based upon it later in the Bible. So I want to employ the law first mentioned here. So I go to the book of Genesis and find the first place that the word valley is mentioned in Scripture. And it's mentioned in Genesis 14 and verse number 17. The Bible speaks what has happened here. Abram, Abram has just went out. There has come a war with kings against Sodom and Gomorrah. They have stolen things. They have trampled Sodom and Gomorrah. They have taken Lot and his family. Uh, and, and Abram gets word of this. And so he gathers a group. I think it is about 318 men together and goes out to battle against these five kings and, and goes to do war. And he comes back victorious with Lot and his family and all these goods. And so the Bible says in verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him. The king of Sodom went out to meet Abram. After his return from the slaughter, Cheddar Laomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley, there's the word valley, first time it's ever used in scripture, a Savah, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most Hi, God. This is the first time, verse 17, that the word valley is used in the Bible. 
It is particularly, the Bible says, the Valley of Shaval. The Valley of Shaval was, was, was a most plain and even valley from my understanding. It was clear of trees and everything that would obstruct sight or passage. This, this Shaval, this word Shaval actually comes from a verb that means to level or equalize or adjust or counterbalance or yield. It says here that the Valley of Shaval in the Scripture that the Valley of Shaval was the king's dale or the king's valley amen it's only mentioned here the king's dale is only mentioned here in one other place in scripture amen uh, beyond the place where absalom built a memorial into his own name for fear that he would have none of his kids alive and so this is the this this valley of shabal this first valley mentioned in scripture is the king's valley Oh, that just could really do something within itself. It's the king's valley. And, and so in this particular valley, Abram now has, has retreated. He's been, he's been victorious in, in battle. He's been victorious over these other kings, and he's retreated to this valley of Shaval. Amen. Uh, these others that have come against Sodom and more importantly taken his nephew Lot, he's done damage now on them, and after his victory and being victorious, he retreats to the valley. Amen. So he went, in essence, from victory to the valley. From victory to the valley. Wrong turn. I mean, it was just fit. from victory to the valley. Now, in this valley, just walk with me here for a few moments. In this valley, he's stationed in this valley. In this valley, Abram is met by the king of Sodom that approaches him and the king of Salem, Melchizedek the priest of the Most High God that approaches him. In this valley, he's approached by one king. In this valley, he's approached by another king. He's approached by the king, uh, the king of Sodom. Sodom that's known as wickedness, worldliness, immorality. Abraham in this valley is being approached by him. On the other hand, he's being approached by the king of Salem, Melchizedek, the king of the Most High God. The one that, that, that blesses and speaks blessing of the possessor of heaven and earth, God himself. And so as he is approached by both of these, in this moment, in this valley, Abram has a choice that he's going to have to make between the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. This is what they're presenting. The king of Sodom comes and is basically setting the deal out. He's saying, Abram, let's make a deal. You can have all the goods that you took from your victory. You can have all the goods that you took from your victory. Just give me the persons. In other words, you can have the goods and you give me the persons. Let's make a deal. But whenever the king of Salem, Melchizedek, came unto Abraham, he is pronouncing blessing upon Abraham. You should be blessed of the possessor of the God of heaven and earth. And we read that eventually that Abram gives him a tenth of all that he had taken back to King Melchizedek. What we have here are two kings that's approaching Abram in a valley. One is trying to give him a deal. You take this and you give me that. But the other king is just giving him provision and giving him blessing. We use, we use that phrase all times when we make decisions that we're just weighing things out. You ever said that? Just weighing things out? What are we doing? We're doing what, what Shaval really means. We're just kind of leveling things. 
We're trying to equalize things if possible, adjusting. We're, we're counterbalancing what's going on here. But ultimately is this, we got to yield. One way or another, we got to make a choice. The king of Solomon, Sodom probably at that time was bearer, we read in scripture, who names means gift. He's pushing for a bargain. He's pushing for a bargain with Abram. Hey man, he's from, he's from Sodom, which means burning. Watch out your choice that you make. It looks like a gift, but it's from the burning. Uh-huh. It's from the place that is going to eventually burn with fire and brimstone. But the king of Sodom that comes, the king of Salem rather that comes was Melchizedek. He's the king of righteousness. He's coming with, he's not trying to make a deal. He's come to give you something. He's come to pronounce something on your life and bless you with something. He comes from a place of peace. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Christ that was the priest after the order of Melchizedek according to Hebrews. Sodom wicked, immorality, worldly. And so Abram here is in a valley. Not because of a wrong turn. He just had victory and then he went to a valley. He's in the valley not because of a wrong turn but because he had an opportunity to make a choice. Either go with worldliness and sinfulness and immorality and make a deal on this side or receive the providence and the blessing and the greatness of the hand of God on this So I'm not saying this morning that a valley means a wrong turn. Sometimes it does. But according to the first mention of a valley, I believe many times valleys are the places where we make some decisions. Am I going to internalize this and get bitter and resentful? Or am I going to step on it like a a stepping stone and cause it to cause me to go a little higher? How am I going to respond? Josephus said that the Kingsdale this valley this first valley I'm speaking of was just two furlongs distant from Jerusalem some describe it as the valley on the east of Jerusalem afterwards called the valley of Jehoshaphat through which the Kedron brook slash valley passed if that is the case Somewhere along the night after Jesus had his last supper with his disciples in John 18 he says he took those boys over the brook otherwise at other times known the valley of Kedron. If that's the case he passed over this spot that Abraham had been at X thousands of years earlier. He had just crossed over the king's valley just crossed over the King's Valley. And if that is the case, he went to that Garden of Gethsemane. He went over that Kedron with a choice to make. Let this cup pass from me or nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not a wrong turn, but a place where a decision needed to be made. A place where a decision had to be made. I'll just throw this in there for extra. Won't cost you anything. Take me to lunch and we'll call you. No. Won't cost you anything. Said it was, it was what came to be known the Valley of Jehoshaphat. You read Ezekiel and Isaiah if you go back to our Revelation study. It's the valley of Jehoshaphat. We read even in Joe. At that time, they even called it, and look it up plainly in your bodies, 
Bible. It's called the Valley of Decision. We oftentimes term that, we use that for us, Valley of Decision, where we need to make a decision. The Valley of Decision was the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It was the place the Lord will return that we know the battle of Armageddon will take place where God makes a decision of judgment upon his people. If you make the correct decision in your valley, you'll make God's decision easier whenever he comes to that same place. It's the Valley of Decision maybe for you today, but it'll be the Valley of Decision for him tomorrow concerning It's not the result of a wrong turn. It's where we make a turn. It's where we make a turn. If you'll stand with me this morning, so I ask you this, what are we going to do with our valleys? How are we going to respond? What will we walk away and maybe have learned from them? Again, we all meet these roads these places for differing reasons at times but when we get there we really just have a decision and a choice to make because once we once we deduce am I here because of something I've done then I got a choice to make what do I need to do for course correction here if I deduce I'm here because this is where God wants me at then I got a choice to make I'm going to refrain from getting bitter and resentful toward God. If I get here and I can't decipher no reason, I got a choice to make. I got a choice to make. You've heard me say it, folks. God, you say, well, boy, this is horrid. And I know I say the same thing. I'm not living on some different plane than you are. Say the same thing. This is horrid. In reality, if we can just tweak our mindset just a little bit, God must have thought he could trust you with that. He could trust you. What a dilemma. God must have thought he could trust you with it he's going to only trust for the those that are trustworthy only those that are trustworthy and so if that's the case God <laughs> really know how to show your appreciation for a person sometimes. I can trust you with this what, what are you saying I can trust that when you find yourself here you'll make the right decision You'll make the right decision here. Can we bow our heads all across this place today? Hallelujah. And if you desire to pray, it's your seed. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.